We must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. Martin Luther King Jr. Hey everybody, welcome to the 10 to 12 podcast, the official podcast of Teamsters Local 1150. I'm Stephen French. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. So a lot happened last year in terms of unions winning big at the bargaining table. 2024 is going to see several big union contracts expire, opening the door again for the possibility of more labor victories. We'll take a look at some of those big contracts today and talk about why we think labor is poised to make workers even stronger. But first, let's take a dive into our contract. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, we're getting close to vacation time, so we thought it'd be a good time to talk about our vacation language and just give you a few reminders. Uh, anybody who wants to change lump sum versus pay-as-you-go vacation, you need to make that election by the end of this month, uh, January 31st. And those checks are going to be distributed on the 29th of February. Uh, another thing to note is that this year, personal checks will also be distributed on the same date. And what we'd like you to do just to verify that check's going to be correct is over the next few weeks, take a look at your last pay stub from the prior year, take a look at your hourly rate, and make sure that the vacation rate on this year's checks is higher um, than the rate on that check. It should be at least equal to or higher than that amount. And if it's not, then you, know, you need to get with your steward and let them know, um, and they can get that corrected with HR. Yep. So getting into the, the subject at hand, Labor had a good year in 2023, a really good year. Some of those big contracts, you know, the 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 big three automakers with the auto workers, um, huge win. Um, you know, we we talked ad nauseum about UPS because we're Teamsters, and that was just that was a, a giant win for for the Teamsters and for labor as a whole. Um, the the Hollywood studios. And, and the the writers and the actors um, that turned turned out really well for for workers so th those things made 2023 a really big year for labor um, you know the the wave of organizing continued in 2023 we're going to talk a little bit about that as well because um, today's subject is really contracts right it's it's negotiating contracts collective bargaining, um, and there's more of the same coming, right? There are some really big companies with big unions that are going to negotiate this year. Their contracts are expiring. Uh, implications abound, right? I mean, this is going to be a great year for labor or a horrible year for labor. I personally think we're going to continue to see what we saw in 2023 um, with some big wins for labor, Workers are in a strong position right now, and I think that's going to continue. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be a big year. I mean, I think what we saw last year, the general theme was that unions are really starting to work together across industries. You're seeing, you know, like you brought up the actors and the writers, there was the motion picture teamsters that were right there with them. Yep. Um, you see UPS out there and, you know, they had their practice strikes. And then you saw very similar from UAW and all the different unions seem to be supporting each other as much as they can. Yeah, for um, sure. So I think, you know, it's good like we're doing today. Kind of look at the outlook for the year, look at the contracts coming up, and all our listeners, hopefully you decide how can I help, you know, support all these different causes because 
they're coming. Yeah, and solidarity within the union that's engaged in the action, right? That I think that's really important too. The the willingness to strike over the issues that you have, the 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 threat of a strike, you know, that's what what's really gonna 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 make these unions successful or not successful. Yeah, you know, I used to read the news and you'd hear about a contract here, a contract there, and you'd just think about like, okay, they're in a fight right now. Mm. More and more, I think you read the news and you you get the collective feeling that, you know, this is the working class versus the elites. You know, this is this is the time that everybody really needs to stick together and they are sticking together. And we're yeah. seeing, you know, better um, views of unions by the entire country. It's at one of the most favorable it's ever been. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, you know, the ball is rolling downhill. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think people, you know, by and large across the country are are seeing that, you know, that corporate greed is a real thing. I, I think people are seeing that. I think their 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 sympathy for workers out there, um, you know. So hopefully we're going to see that translate into public support for these unions, um, you know. And and as we go down this list of contracts. You know, we'll talk about which unions are more susceptible or which of these companies are more susceptible to that public pressure than others, right? Because there's definitely a difference. And I think the public pressure has gotten more coordinated. Um, you know, there's a better message now. And you see the public, I think, having more patience when there's people out on strike and it's affecting them. Yep. Um, whether it's, you know, content not coming out for, you know, writers and actors or bus strikes in Connecticut. That was a big theme last year. Yeah. Um, major disruption to lots of parents, but I think there was a lot of towns that showed overwhelming support, knowing, you know, we care about these people. They bring our kids to school. Right. Um, so I think with that increase in, you know, patience by the public and willing to support unions, it's only going to give us more and more that we can do. Yep. And and there's some, so there's some factors, right, that, that you have to look at when you look at all of these or any of these contracts. Um, a lot of the contracts, most, in fact, of these contracts that are expiring, um, they they were agreed to before the pandemic. I, I think that's really important because so much, it seems like a really long time ago, right, that the pandemic happened, but it wasn't that long ago. The pandemic changed a lot for workers, right? It changed the, the landscape for workers. And the economy. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. And, you know, workers suffered during the pandemic, right? A lot of workers got at least temporarily furloughed or, um, you know, or were inundated with work, yeah, work depending on what industry you're in, right? Yep. Um, but the pandemic affected workers. It affected unions. Um, and, and, and now we're kind of just coming out of this massive inflation that hit the country. Um, and, and, you know, these workers didn't their pay didn't go up because inflation skyrocketed right so you know workers are feeling the squeeze right now who who are at the tail end of a contract that maybe didn't predict this kind of inflation yeah and many of them have a memory of these companies you know going in the press and talking about just how valuable they were you know our heroes during the pandemic right. and now people don't want to pay right um, but a lot of these companies have profits through the roof absolutely so, um, you know, we're going to we're going to take a look at all of that, the the concessions that a lot of these unions took and and 
the tier two thing is a huge theme across a lot of these contracts. Um, a lot of unions um, accepted or were almost forced to take a tier, a two tier system, um, whether it's in healthcare or pay, and they're looking to get rid of that stuff now. Right. So um, let's let's kind of go through this list. First up is AT and T. Yeah, they've got two big contracts um, covering 25,000 wireline workers, and those are set to expire in 2024. They've got one that's got 9,000 communication workers um, in California and Nevada. That's coming up um, in, I'm sorry, April. And then they've got another that covers 16,000 workers in nine southeastern states from Florida all the way to Kentucky, and that expires in August. Okay. So, yeah, that's um, th- that, that's a lot of workers, right? And that's just one of the contracts. Really. Well, no, there's two. Um, but they have a third contract that covers 7,000 workers um, in the Southwest, right? So we're talking about a total of, what is, wow, math. 25,000. 32,000 workers, right? Oh, so there's 25,000 that are that are covered under those first two contracts, and then another for seven thousand. So it looks like it's thirty-two thousand workers at AT and T are going to renegotiate a contract this year. Yeah, and like you said, it's really a lot of it is based on having that second-tier workforce um, and trying to bring up the wages for their installation technicians. Yep, these are the people that earn a lot of times lower wages. They have a lot of harder rules, um, having to work mandatory overtime, which was a big theme fought back in the past year for a lot of different contracts. Yeah. So, um, yeah, mandatory weekend overtime is allowed under those two contracts that cover the 25,000 workers. Um, I I don't get it, right? Uh, But that's a thing. And in that industry, right, that's different than when you're building helicopters, right? That industry is, you know, it's a a seven-day, 24-hour-a-day business, right? When, When a line is down, somebody's got to go fix it right it's not hey uh, you know i'm going to take the weekend off let you know find somebody to do it on monday yeah right so uh, mandatory weekend overtime is uh is something that they're looking to either do away with or change how that looks really don't know what they're thinking but um but they're looking to change that rule right the president of the cwa at, at local 3122 down in miami he you know he He's made some public statements, um, and and he said, when we bargained that contract, it was a good contract. But again, the pandemic happened, um, inflation happened, and now five years later, it's not as good. Yeah, right, they, that contract doesn't look great. They earned that last contract by striking in 2019, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not like it came easy. You know, they did what they had to do. They got a good contract, but just so much has changed, like you said, with the economy and with the pandemic um, yep. since then. His, and in his estimation, they lost money. He said we actually lost money because we did a five-year deal. So you know, the the workers are fired up. They're they're looking to make up wages that they think they lost in that contract. Um, and, um, you know, they're, they're getting ready to fight. Uh, I guess AT&T is, is, has this ongoing effort to take more money for healthcare costs from workers. Uh, so they're looking to stop that. So next up we have Boeing. They've got a contract covering 30,000 machinists in the IAM, uh, machinist union. They're in Washington state and they're set to expire on September 12th. 
their members are still really upset over a mid-contract concession that Boeing demanded and got, um, and that was over a decade ago. This one feels a lot like ours. Yeah. So, yeah, they were, you know, Boeing took advantage of a, of a situation. Um, you know, they had they had a new aircraft coming online, just like we did with the K, yep. right? Seven 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 X. Yep. And the company the the company took advantage of that and said, "Hey, listen, we're going to take this work away from you if you don't agree to some concessions mid contract." Um, the IAM actually reopened the the contract, which you know we didn't do that. We yeah we we agreed to some some concessions our membership voted on it um you know that's that's water under the bridge and and we've talked a lot on this podcast about how our union has fought back and and you know gotten back a lot of those concessions that we agreed to back in 2017. I mean, they Um, opened up the negotiation, but they they, didn't have the ability to strike. Right, which which is terrible. They opened up the contract without the ability to strike. um, And and the members are kind of fired up about it, but they stuck with the union. um, So they're they're looking to get back some of those concessions, uh, which include what? Uh, well, the biggest concessions were they gave up the pension and they had a big shift in health care costs that went from the company to the workers. Yeah, um, they they actually had to had to vote twice on those concessions. They actually lost the, the vote once and then they, they revised it and and they squeaked by with a 51 percent vote back in 2014 to agree to those concessions. Yeah. So many members were actually on holiday break, it said, and yeah, missed the vote. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Um, but OK, here we are. We're we're nine years later. Right. So um, let's forget about the past and let's let's move on and and try to win a big contract. This this is the big one to me. Right. Uh, on, of all the, the contracts on this list, to me, this is the big one because it's 30,000 workers. It's a huge company. Um, I believe it's Washington State's top um, employer. It's got to be. So. And and I think the union has really has the upper hand here. If they play their cards right, and sorry if there are any IAM leaders listening to this podcast, but the IAM doesn't have a great reputation for for making the right decisions. Um, they need to make the right decisions. They need to take a page out of Sean O'Brien's playbook and out of the auto workers playbook and they need to play their cards right on this one right they have the opportunity to get a historic contract out of boeing because boeing is reeling right now yeah they're they're, hurting they're hurting um they obviously had setbacks over the pandemic they had um a lot of i think built up work which you know I, i don't have all the facts in front of me right now but i think they're really trying to make up schedule here they are and you can't afford to have people out you can't not earning money you know we can we can talk there's two things that are really hurting boeing right now it's spirit right that's that we can talk about sikorsky aircraft and spirit as well right but spirit is killing them spirits way behind and spirit made um for those of you who are listening and don't know spirit aerospace um makes the the cabins for the, the fuselages for um, several of the Boeing model aircraft. I think they also made the door that just flew off. The, they, um, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yep. Yeah. So, 
that's a problem. But so Spirit is is behind schedule providing fuselages to Boeing and the, the you know they're still hurting from the big scandal with the 737 Max, right? The two aircraft crashed and they they grounded that aircraft for a long time. So they're still hurting from that, right? They had to make a lot of engineering changes on that aircraft to to start up that assembly line again. So they're hurting, right? And they cannot afford a strike. Boeing cannot afford a strike. So the union's in a great place. And you can't afford poor quality either. You know, you can't go, this is a very specialized field. You're not going to just go hire scab workers in to to keep your schedule. You can't do it, especially if you're going to have an aircraft crash and, you know, no question kill your reputation and kill people yeah no question this is different right so if you look at the at the first contract we talked about it's at&t right yeah uh, that that that's an infrastructure type business right people need their telephones to work people need communications to work but um you know not too many people die if your phone shuts down right i, but, I think people got to remember too the machinists at spirit also just came off a strike. They yep. were out on strike last year. Yeah. Um, they were only out for six days in June, and they ended up winning a 31.5% raise. Uh, and that's over four years plus cost of living. Yep. So the there, there's, there's a lot of talk about what the machinists are going to be looking for in at Boeing in Seattle. Uh, some people are saying that they're looking for 40% wage increases over four years, 10% Which, a year. I'm pretty sure that's what UAW came out with um, when they initially were going to the table. Yeah, they did. Um, and it's been pretty similar when you look at other airlines in the industry. Um, American, Delta, United, they all had very similar asks. Right. So, you know, what what the machinists are saying, and, and again, it's all about the rhetoric, right? They, they have about eight and a half months to to you know set up their game plan to to talk to their members to get the word out through the media and and talk to that company about what they're looking for but what they're saying is this is the market rate right we need 40 percent wage increases to get our workers up to the market rate in this industry yeah and by the way like the rest of the country we want our pension back and we're ending the weekend you know mandatory overtime yep Absolutely. Same theme, different company. You can almost just plug in the name on different companies and the ask is the same. Yep. So, I, you know, personally, I think they'd be thrilled if, if um, and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not on the bargaining committee, but if I was and I asked, I started at 40% and ended up agreeing to 31.5% like they did at Spirit, I'd be pretty happy. Yeah, I'd be happy with that. And you know what? I think it's fair to just to note some progress that they've had over at IAM. They actually um, passed a resolution in their constitution back in 2016 requiring that the union conduct a vote with the local membership before engaging in any more mid-contract talks. So that's an issue that's fixed. Luckily, yep. we're proud to say we didn't have that issue over here. Right. We already had our vote in place. Yep. Um, but they have made progress there. And then they're also making progress with now they can strike coming up on this. Um, yep. They've got on July 17th, an event set for a prepare to strike rally um, and a strike authorization vote. And that's going to be at the Mariners Stadium in yeah. Seattle. So so there it is. Right. That's sort of a page out of the Sean O'Brien playbook. Right. It's you know, it, it, it's a big public event like the practice pickets were. Um, and it, it's letting everybody, it, you know, it's letting the public know. 
It's letting the company know that, hey, we're ready to go. Yeah, one of the districts in their union even set up a special payroll deduction back in 2019. Um, and that was five years in advance of this. So they've had some time to save some money. They've encouraged their members set aside $50 a paycheck into the strike funds. Um, so I think they're ready to go. They've had time to stew on this, and it's mm-hmm. going to be interesting to see where they get. Yep, really important. Those public events, and 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 let's talk about that a little bit, because the public events are important. Uh, people would tend to think that, you know, a contract campaign at a company like Boeing, the the public can't affect that, right? Because it's, you know, it's a private company. Their product isn't being sold to the public, right? So the public can't put pressure on them that way. Like, hey, I'm not going to buy my 737 if you don't treat your workers right, right? Yeah. That's not a thing. But, you know, what people forget is, especially in a place like Seattle, when, you know, 30,000 workers are affected, it, the public does matter, right? There's so many, there's thousands and thousands of small businesses around that plant that are affected by these workers who can put pressure on Boeing. Yeah. And if you don't work there, you probably, you know, live with or, you know, are friends with somebody that does work there. Yep. So the impact to families, the impact to the local economy, there's no way the public cannot take notice. Right. So, you know, for me, part of this campaign needs to be, and I hope the union's doing this, is to talk to small business owners, right? To talk to business owners around the plants and and have them put pressure on politicians, right? Because that's where the pressure is going to come from. The pressure on Boeing is going to come from the politicians who say, hey, you know, we want to take care of our constituents. Don't do something that's going to put them out on strike. Yeah. And I think the other thing they're going to have to worry about is the ripple effect in this industry where if they have a, a work stoppage at Boeing, their suppliers eventually feel that effect. Um, And that has issues for the people's jobs that are, you know, at a supplier. Yeah, like spirit. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I think we know that all too well. Yeah, we do. Let's not talk about that. Uh, So there's there's more, right? Flight attendants are are coming up. Yeah. So the American Airlines um, flight attendants, they're still negotiating. They've been out. uh, Well, I'm sorry, they haven't been out. Their contract expired in 2016. Um, there's 26,000 members of the Association of Professional Flight Attendants that have seen no raises since before the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and they've voted, like everybody else in this country, over 99% to authorize a strike. Yep. And there's more, right? There's more flight attendants? There are. There's 19,000 Southwest flight attendants. They're represented Man. by the transport workers, um, Local 556. They voted down a contract in December that included a 20% immediate raise. They've been negotiating for five years now. And same thing there. The union's demanding a 33% raise, and American has only offered 11%. So uh, let me ask, because I don't know this, and maybe you do, maybe we'll have to look it up. Uh, is there like a no-strike clause for, for these folks? Yes. There is. Yeah. So the pilots, um, which I can look up more details, but the pilots for sure. Um, Be, because, well, so the, the, the flight attendants voted to authorize a strike, right? So I, I would think they can go on strike. But what what bothers me, it really bothers me when unions who have the ability to strike continue to work without a contract and continue to negotiate. Um, and and it's just a personal opinion, right? There there are different ways to approach collective bargaining. I for one 
am am an advocate of when the contract expires, you're on strike. Yeah. So in their sector, it's definitely a little bit different. Um, law requires them to do different things. Okay. So any strikes at airlines, they're governed by the U.S. Railway Labor Act. And uh, that law basically lays out very strict rules that have to be followed in order to get to a strike. So they can get there, but it often takes a lot of time and they're often left working on expired contracts. Um, Whereas we have the ability, obviously, to just go right out. Um, So in their case, they'd have to start with like mediation. Okay. And that's frustrating, right? That's frustrating for a union because, you know, I mean, I I preach all the time about, hey, a union's only weapon is to withhold labor. And when that weapon's taken from you, fighting becomes a lot more difficult. And we see how they drag things out, and that's the the tactic, right? Yeah, sure. The companies know that that they don't have the ability to immediately walk off the job, so so they stretch it out. They drag it out. I remember seeing the Southwest pilots did a— like a demonstration across the country last year and they did walkouts i think at five major cities maybe yeah um and i thought the same thing to myself how have you been out this long and you haven't gone on strike yeah Um, but they weren't able to so the first step like i said is that mediation and then after that they have to um go back in and get a strike authorization vote followed by a release from mediation and then finally a 30-day cooling off period before a strike can begin yeah that that makes it really difficult, and and you know it's funny because I was um, I was talking to one of my coworkers, and he used to be a, a cop. He actually retired from the police force. He worked at Sikorsky, went to went to be a cop for several years, retired, and came back to Sikorsky. Hmm. Right, he's collected a pension from the police union. It's great, um, good for him. But you know, he we talked about. He asked me what the podcast was going to be about today, and I told him what we were going to be talking about. And um, and, and we talked about those unions that don't have the ability to strike. Right, like police unions. Right. And and I asked him, I was like, what did you guys do? Like, what kind of things did you do to put the pressure on? Because you can't strike. He said it was it was impossible. He said, you know, we we were fortunate enough to to have good negotiators and a good a good city to negotiate with. He said, but when things got ugly, we did stupid stuff like we would grow beards because it was against the rules, Hmm. you know, but we would grow a beard and, you know, it would piss them off, but it wouldn't really affect negotiations. So, um, you know, it, it, it always baffles me how those unions are able to put the pressure on, like, what can you do? And it's tough. I mean, they a lot of times have several months between each of the steps that I you know listed before, and that drags things out for a long time. And then even still, the president can intervene, like we saw back with the rail strikes, yep. right? Yep. Um, and they can just impose a contract, and here you right. go, enjoy mm-hmm. your. Uh, yeah, to me, it just kind of you know it it removes the muscle from from the union in that that negotiating process. And for me. and like you said, because it's such a, a long. Um, arduous process to get out on strike. It really has crippled strikes from happening in that industry. Clearly, because they've been out. I mean, they've been without a contract now for for five years almost. I mean, I bet if we looked at the standard, how long they operate on an expired contract in the industries where you can't strike, it's probably a common trend where you know they're yeah. working a lot longer. Yep. Um, if they do go out on strike, the flight attendants at American, it'd be the first time a U.S. airline, other than the pilots at Spirit Airlines in 2010, struck 
uh, in a very long time. Yeah, I'd love to see it happen because, you know, it, listen, I know it, it's crippling to the, you know, to the country, right, to, to shut down an airline. I mean, Southwest is huge. Right. They're a massive airline. So like Spirit back in 2010, um, they flew less than 1% of all domestic flights in 2010, whereas American flies nearly 23%. Right. I mean, that so cripples the country. It's a huge impact. Yeah. But it's also why you worry about somebody coming and imposing a, you know, yeah. a substandard contract. So th- they're they're really far apart um, in the, in the st- at Southwest. Um, the union is asking for a 33% wage increase. Um, no, sorry, that's at American Airlines. American Airlines has offered 11%. They were asking for 35 Yeah. And they offered 11 So th- they're pretty far apart there. Hopefully they'll they'll be able to come together and, and get a good contract. Uh, I'd love to see a strike there. Just, you know, it, I, I really think labor needs to continue to the, the strike, you know, the trend of striking. I know how disruptive it is, but it really strengthens us as a labor movement. Um, United Airlines, Alaska Airlines flight attendants um, are, are also currently negotiating, right? Don't have any details on that stuff, but they're currently in negotiations. Travel now. Right. <laughs> what else do we have? Daimler truck. Yeah, so they've division. got a master contract that's covering 7,000 auto workers um, at their North American plant, and that expires at the end of April. Um, that's going to include three North Carolina Freightliner plants where the workers assemble and make parts for semi-trucks and medium-duty trucks. Right. Um, it also covers the largest school bus manufacturing site in North America. Wow. So that's, you know, that that's a big one because... You know, that's a lot of workers. Um, it's not, uh, you know, huge, but it's a lot of workers. But I, I think what's important to look at there is that it's the auto workers, right? They're, you know, they're feeling pretty good about what happened at the big three. So they're, I, I'm sure, are going to go into a, a negotiations like that and say, hey, remember, we're not screwing around. Yeah. Also in North Carolina, um, there's construction underway on Toyota having a flagship electric vehicle battery plant. Um, so it's a big manufacturing hub now. And yeah. You, you, like you said, UAW is primed to go after it. They've had luck at Mercedes so far getting cards signed, Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tesla just gave out raises because they're afraid of the UAW gains. Yep, good. And and that's all great news. That the, the, What you just mentioned in North Carolina, the, the, the battery plant is just – I, I can't even really – put into words how important that is yeah these are the futures of you know the industry as as these cars go green and there's more and more electric vehicles these were critical critical factories to get under really master contracts which is what the uaw was after and had some success with yeah as much as people want to you know i'm sure some of our listeners are saying nope we're you know we're going to be burning fossil fuels forever it's not the truth right the truth is that we're going to transition to electric vehicles at some point yeah i mean there's been a pullback and it's definitely slowed um but like you said it's the future and what they were trying to do in a lot of cases was set up new companies that didn't fall under a union and make them just start from fresh Um, and they were offering crazy low wages in a lot of cases right um so so looking at some of the manufacturing plants um you know it says here that 
you know, school districts uh, want to use more electric buses, right? So that's a, a big opportunity. So at that plant um, in, in, what is it, Thomas? Yep. Those folks are making 18 to 21 bucks an hour, right? On yeah. average. I think their top, their top wage earners are at $29 an hour. And those are like, I think, the really skilled trades, right? So uh, to me, there's a lot of room for improvement there. For sure. Freightliner, I think they're a little bit higher, um, but same thing. And, you know, the other big issue for them is trying to fight over job security. You've heard me talk about the plants down in Mexico. Silao, I think is how it's pronounced. Mexico is a major city where cars are produced now. Mm -hmm. um, GM produces down there. Um, but this is another big one. They've got two big assembly plants down in Mexico, and they've been trying to move more work there. Yeah, and and which is why, you know, that the provision that, that the UAW won at the big three, um, if, if you don't remember – the UAW won the right to strike over plant closures yep. at the big three automakers. And and that's incredible language, right? That language is so important when you look at what you just talked about, right? Them trying to move work down to Mexico. Um, you know, moving work means closing plants. And, um, you know, we have the right to strike. I say we, the labor movement. Um, the UAW has the right to strike over those plant closures but only at the big three. So they need to get similar language at some of these other automakers. Yeah, just having that spread to the big three, it really gives them the ability to have an impact on the whole industry. You look at brands like Stellantis that own so many you know, different American brands. And if you could only hit them in one spot, you'd have a limited impact. But now you know, I wanna remind people the other thing that they did at UAW is they timed the big three contracts to all expire on International Workers Day in 2028. Right. Um, so same thing again, they're gonna get that collective push when they go to negotiate. Yeah, and, and let's hope that they do the same thing here, right, at Daimler Truck and, and, and Freightliner. Uh, if they can get similar expiration dates, uh, which would be awesome, I think the companies would be insane to agree to it but but uh we'll but, give you whatever you want any other day of <laughs> yeah exactly uh so th that to me that's a big one right the um you know when i'm looking back on our list so far boeing for me is the biggest um but daimler truck is is a really big one because it it has the ability to continue that that trend or that wave that that the UAW is riding um, and frankly those are you know those those are contracts that can again change the economy yeah right they can literally change the economy next up we've got IATSE so they've got two main um, contracts covering 60,000 film and television crew workers yep. expiring. I was just gonna say our our listeners are saying what's IATSE yeah, so that's the uh, members of the Theatrical Stage Employees Union. Yep. Um, they came close to striking in October of 21 over long, dangerously long hours and low pay. Um, at the time, a majority voted against the union's largest contract, which is called the Hollywood Basic Agreement, but it was then passed um, thanks to an electoral college-style ratification procedure. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, which, you know, people don't necessarily, I think, recognize the value of we have one for one votes in this union. Yep. Um, and some unions don't. Yep. 
some unions and and even in in some instances in the Teamsters, which I think we did away with under Sean O'Brien. But um, you know, it, it's a one member, one vote. But they look for like a super majority in some instances. And again, I think we got rid of that in the yeah. Teamsters. At UPS, we absolutely yeah. Got rid of that. But I mean, most Teamster contracts are, to your point, one member, one vote, and a simple majority, right? So it's literally fifty percent of the voting membership plus one wins the wins the vote yeah so you got to remember that the um IATSE members they were out for about four months in 2023 just because of the impact from the writer and actor strikes right which uh, which worries me yeah it could make it a little bit difficult yeah it, it i mean for them to to vote for a strike now after being out of work for four months um you know that that's that's tough that that's a little bit worrisome i'm sure that you know, the employers are looking at that. Yeah. And, you know, on the same note, the employers, I don't think, want to have people out on strike again. Um, they took a public opinion battering they did. the last time around. Yep, they did. There's also a contract uh, similarly in that industry that um, that's expiring in May that covers um, thousands of TV and film musicians. Uh, so it's the AFM, the Association of film musicians i believe is the name of the union um again that expires in may so that's something to keep our eye on as well yeah i think this is one industry that contracts whether they get settled or you know regardless we're going to be hearing about this industry and changes to this industry you know just evolving constantly with the you know the ai stuff that's going on um some of the voice actors just signed i think an agreement to have an ai company come in and they started clarifying how they'll be able to use you know different aspects of AI and voice recording. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's a really interesting thing to watch. And as a worker uh, in that industry, I would be, I would be super concerned with it. I mean, you know, they, they need to rely on their unions to do the right thing. Yeah. The, I mean, the article I read, I think I sent you this morning was talking about how workers are going to have the ability to consent to the use of AI to duplicate their voice. They're going to have the ability to withdraw that consent. They're going to know exactly what, you know, um, what yeah. projects it's going to be used on, but it's still, it's taking away, you know, there's one job, there's another job. Yep. And you know, the less time it takes you and the more they can just push a button and use it. Yeah. Um, you know, how often are there going to be these opportunities? Yeah. I'm, and, and, and look, we could probably talk about that for a while. I'll just say that, that as a worker, that would concern me. Um, you know, they might be looking at that as a good thing, like, oh, I can consent or not consent. But the worry for me would be th those those actors who are maybe thinking about hanging it up, right? And and they say, yeah, I'll sign up, right? You pay me a, this lump sum and sure. I'll give you consent to use my voice, right? Yep. They're out of the business. They don't worry about it, but that affects those other workers that are left behind. Right. So right. that worries me a bit. Yeah. So a really big one uh, to me, uh, because this is notoriously one of, the, one of the strongest unions in the country, um, the Longshoremen. So the, the East Coast Longshoremen are, are expiring um, in September, the end of September. It covers 17,000 East Coast and Gulf Coast dock workers. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people and a, an industry, uh, an industry that is, I mean, you can't imagine the impact on the economy that these workers have. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, really, <laughs> truly, you know, one day of shutdown. Yep, imports and massive. exports just stop. Yeah, and, you know, like Sean O'Brien, the president of the Longshoreman, Harold Daggett, already said we are vowing we are not extending this contract past that date. Right. Um, he told the members, prepare for a potential coast-wide strike for big wage increases and to fend off automation because that's their big concern. Yeah. So he's also um, he's telling members that they they have to work faster, right? Which sounds sounds like something that shouldn't be coming from the union, um, but there's a reason for that, right? It's it's because automation in that industry is the push to automate that industry is huge yeah it's like man versus machine and yeah i don't know how you know i don't know how long it can last um but at least for the time being i get where he's coming from yeah so i you know i don't i don't claim to understand necessarily this language i can you know i can imagine what it means but what he's saying is the the workers need to need to maintain a level of 32 moves per hour. I would guess, and this is a total guess, that they're probably talking about shipping containers. Yeah, containers. That's what I would guess. Um, so 32 moves per hour. Um, he says that, that that's the level that he promised the employers, um, and and it's what he needs to probably be successful at the bargaining table in fending off those efforts to automate. Right. They they have some pretty sophisticated automated um, uh, equipment that can do this job without human beings. And, um, you know, they need to they need to fend off implementation of that kind of technology. Yeah, they have a, they're coming off a six year master contract. Um, there hasn't been a strike on both coasts, the East and Gulf Coast, since 1977. Yeah. It's been a long time, and the longshoremen, they they are notoriously, you know, um, militant, almost violent on the picket lines when they when they go on strike, right? Yeah. And keep in mind, we're talking East Coast and Gulf Coast. The West Coast actually um, won a contract that came out last year. They got thirty percent raises over six years, plus a big bonus package. Yeah. And they're already paid more than than the East Coast, so there's a lot of catching up to do in the East Coast and the Gulf Coast. Right, the East lags far beyond the West pay for both regular pay and pension pay. Yeah, so um, I, I think that's the fight that's coming, and um, hopefully they're going to be successful. Uh, I, I, you know, we don't have a lot of details in front of us in terms of, you know, the 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 employer's ability to implement technology and that automation if the workers go on strike i would imagine that's a very good point yeah i would imagine that that it would be way more difficult than than you know than it might appear I, i mean that kind of equipment i think is probably pretty costly and pretty massive and and like installation of it would be pretty difficult to do Probably timely too. Yeah, so so I I think the workers might be in a, in a good spot there. Um, you know that that industry doesn't slow down. No, right? There's no time for. I, I mean, I've seen stuff on television, like documentaries on television about about how they run, and it's you know, it, if a guy has to take a bathroom break, it's a problem. Yeah, I mean, you figure thirty two moves an hour. Right. You know, that's substantial. 
Yeah, that's that's two minutes. That's two, minute, every, less, that's two minutes per every, container. Little less, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and not damaging anything. I mean, it's not right. like you're moving a you know an orange. Right. <laughs> yep. An orange. I don't know. I thought. <laughs> I like it. It's lunchtime. I like it. Maybe some of those containers are filled with oranges. They probably we don't are. Know. Uh, so, so that I think that's a really big one to watch, right? I, I think it it has implications on the economy um, if they can't get to where they need to go, uh, and and I would imagine could be wrong, but I would imagine that this is an industry where. Um, the government has a lot to say about a strike as well. Yeah, I would imagine they are probably covered by something like, if not yeah. the Railway Act, something very similar. Yeah, some st- stuff that that has a huge impact on commerce. Um, it usually has those types of provisions where the government can step in and and get involved. Uh, right. And certainly, I'm sure they would. And that brings us to the postal workers. The postal workers. So talk about a big contract. Yeah. Um, the postal workers union agreement covers 220,000 postal clerks, maintenance workers, drivers, and retirees. Yep. They're set to expire on September 20th. Um, and the contract for 100,000 rural letter carriers expires on May 20th. So we're talking about 320,000 postal workers. Yep. That, that have expiring contracts this year. Um, you know, that's on the level of the UPS contract, right? And, and man, there's a lot to say about the, the, the post office. Uh, the post office hasn't been right for several years now. Um, unreliable and it's not workers issues. It's, it's the way that, that business is run now. Uh, it's just, it's kind of a mess. Uh, I don't think they can really sustain a strike if a strike happened, but let's let's just mention that they can't strike. Yep. Right? They're not allowed to strike. However, interesting to talk about, and this is the kind of stuff I love to read. Um, back in 1970, um, 200,000 postal workers went on strike violating the law. Right. They didn't have the right to strike, but they went on strike anyway. Um, and, and they actually won. They, they were looking for the ability to collectively bargain. Right. So this was really the the um, the building of the Postal Workers Union. Um, so 200,000 postal workers went on strike in 1970 to win the right to collectively bargain. And and, you know, I always say sometimes that has to happen. Right. I don't it's scary though right because you saw it with you know the the um air traffic controllers that's exactly what i was thinking right the air traffic controllers went on strike they weren't allowed to they went on strike anyway and they were all replaced so it's scary i I don't know how you would replace three hundred and twenty thousand postal workers and that's it right? right that it's like the Amazon problem. Right. It's all about solidarity. You can't replace that many people. Right. Um, and they have language in place now that they can't be forced to move more than 50 miles if their job is cut. Yep. Um, and they also won't lay off anybody with six years seniority. Um, but good point, stuff. Good stuff. But also, you know, when you have 220,000 people working, you can't afford to lose that many people. Right. So that's a big one to watch, too. Um, 
again, not a lot of information as far as what they're looking for, but you know, that's that's a business that's just really struggling right now. Um, you know, their their business has they've lost workers over the years, and the business has changed. Right, they've gone from being letter carriers. They still they still call them letter carriers, but your postman, my postman, they're they're carrying as many packages nowadays as they are letters. Probably more more packages. Right. I mean, you know, my mailman, I, I, I see him all the time, right? He'll, he comes to my door twice most days, Yeah. right? He'll come with, with my regular mail. And then, you know, a half hour later, he's there again with a package. Yeah. So it, it's a, it's a different industry today. And I'm not sure that, um, quote unquote management has really adapted to those changes. So I, I'm really interested to watch those negotiations to see what that looks like and to really hear what the union is looking for. Um, they are not doing a good job going public with, with what their fight is. Yeah, I mean, I've read that it's about new tech, and I imagine it mirrors a lot of the other ones we talked about. Um, but you have to wonder, too, as they do more packages and they're doing more work like UPS or, you know, those companies, are they going to get contracts that kind of mirror the UPS contract? Right. I mean, they're not going to do as good as UPS. But no, they're not. Hopefully they start moving in the right direction. Yep. They, I mean, it's it's different, though, right? They're they're kind of government workers. Right. Right. For sure. But 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 it's, you know, I don't I, I don't claim to understand it. Because I don't really understand where the post office sits. I know that it's 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 governed by the government, but it's not really a government agency. It's kind of strange. So Anheuser Busch, that's a big one for us. That's a Teamster contract. Um, so you're going to be seeing a lot of that on our social media. Um, the Teamsters have a five year contract with Budweiser Brewer Anheuser Busch that's set to expire at f- the end of February. Yep. So it covers what five thousand Teamsters, twelve breweries. So they're spread out, right? There, it's um, that's not a dense industry, really, in terms of worker density. Uh, but five thousand workers is a lot. The Teamsters are, you know, feeling good about what happened at UPS, and, and I think um, you know Anheuser Busch, I think, has been pretty cooperative over the years. I know that. Um, I know that they have an Allegiant Care uh, medical package like we do. Um, I know that that was part of the selling point um, to Lockheed Martin that, you know, Allegiant Care was at Anheuser-Busch, a big employer. So, you know, I think they've they've typically been pretty successful there at Anheuser-Busch. I'm not expecting a lot of trouble from that one, but maybe I'm wrong. They've already had a couple gains. Um, they got the company to restore retiree health benefits, and they were able to end the two-tier health insurance system that was imposed during the last round of bargaining. Yeah, and I think that was done through Allegiant Care, right? Same thing that happened here. We we had a two-tier health care system. I, I don't think I don't think any of our members really knew that that we had two-tier health care because we ended it before it started. Right. It was it was set to start this year where, you know, employees who were hired after 2017 were going to be locked into a, a no-choice system, right? They weren't going to have a choice of what their what their plan was. They were going to be given one plan. 
um, kind of like our salaried employees. And um, we did away with that before it even started. I think a similar thing happened at Anheuser-Busch. They had that kind of set to, to happen, and um, the Teamsters negotiated an Allegiant Care package that saved the company money, saved the workers money, and gave the workers choices. That's the Teamster value. Yep, absolutely. Right? But Anheuser, just to give you a couple um, quick stats, their CEO's compensation in 2022 was $40.1 million. Wow. Um, and they paid $11.62 billion to Wall Street between 2019 and 2022. Oof. So I don't know how much they paid in wages during that time, but right. 5,000 people, probably not that much. Right. <laughs> right. Comparatively. So, um, you, you know, that that's kind of the ones that we want to keep our eye on and and you know if you a regular listener of the podcast you're going to hear more about these contracts as negotiations begin of course if there's strikes going on we're going to talk about them but you know in addition to that stuff um there we still have those those unions at Starbucks, at Amazon, at Trader Joe's, Chipotle, um, you know, those companies who have organized new unions uh, and still don't have a contract. So we're going to talk about that stuff as the year goes on. We're going to keep our eye on that. Really troubling. It's It's something that, you know, labor hasn't fixed yet. We haven't been able to fix through stronger laws. Um, the the ability to get a contract, guaranteed get a contract from a company that we unionize, right? It's really difficult. The companies have the upper hand in, in this part of our business, um, and, and it's frustrating to watch. It's really frustrating to watch these workers at Starbucks, um, especially, right? They, they did such a good job organizing a whole bunch of Starbucks locations and Starbucks is, is just, they're Stone digging their rolling. heels in They're They're showing what kind of company they are. And if you're a Starbucks drinker, do me a favor. Um, if you're listening to this podcast and you buy your coffee at Starbucks, stop and, and go to Dunkin' Donuts, right? Go to Dunkin', grab yourself a coffee, Maybe it's not as good a coffee to you, but try it anyway. If you like Starbucks and you don't like Dunkin' Donuts, I highly recommend getting the, the, the regular coffee with an espresso shot in it. Brings it right up to the Starbucks level to me. So <laughs> to that's, me. Ad, that's <laughs> advice. That's advice for our listeners. Um, stop, stop, stop patronizing Starbucks until they do the right thing. That's what I say. Come down the hall, have a K-Cup with Steve. Yes. All right, some upcoming events to be aware of. We've got our February membership meetings coming up. We're going to have the Connecticut meeting on the 21st of February. We're going to have the Alabama meeting on the 25th of February, and we'll have the Florida West Palm Beach on the 27th. And just if you're a PAX member, I know there's not many folks left at PAX, but um, anybody at PAX, if um, you know from now until the time that PAX closes completely, um, all of the PAX membership meetings will be the Connecticut membership meetings. Um, we'll, we'll provide Zoom links, and PAX folks can Zoom into the Connecticut meetings. We've also got our steward elections coming up. If you're interested in running for steward, please go on our website, take a look. All the information's on there. We have descriptions of all the um, different steward roles that you can apply for. 
Um, so please make sure you take the time to go look and make sure you take the time to apply properly if you want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, lastly, we've got all of our scholarship information up now. There are a lot of scholarships out there for Teamsters and their families. Um, we've got the local scholarship here. We've got our joint council scholarship. We've got a Teamsters IBT scholarship, and there's also a Hoffa scholarship. Um, so make sure you go online, check out that page, and get your applications in. So that's going to about do it for this episode. Um, as always, thank you to everybody for listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for following the 10 to 12 podcast. If you're not following us, shame on you. Go to Podbean right now and follow us. Remember to let us know what you think about the show, or if you have anything you'd like to hear on the show, please shoot us an email at comms at teamsters1150.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at teamsters. 1150.org happy new year and we'll see you next time i'm stephen french and i'm jason shoemaker we'll see you